0: It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anybody ever rip you off. off
1: Rip-off alerts, rip-off alerts. This
2: is a Clark Howard rip-off alert.
0: There's something that's spreading across the travel industry, like locusts, like a plague that is terrible for your wallet. And I want to make sure that you are totally aware of this when you are traveling by car, by air, however, when it comes time to book a hotel. The hotel industry is drunk on junk fees that originally were only charged at fancy resorts and were called resort fees. So you'd be told the rate was going to be, I don't know, 175 a night for your resort room. And then you'd get there and suddenly there'd be another fee that might be another 20 bucks a night that was to pay for the amenities at the place like the fancy pool or whatever was there. And so this stayed as a plague at resorts pretty much alone for a long time. And it was a ridiculous fee anyway because the whole idea of staying at a resort is you're paying more to stay at a resort, so why not charge in the room rate what the resort is actually going to charge you? Well, the reason the resorts went to breaking out the resort fee is because of the way you and I shop for hotels now, that we use our phones most often. And we're just surveying the prices on rooms. And so if a hotel just was legit on charging you a rate and didn't break out when you got there the gotcha fee, you might not book that because they'd look more expensive than another place charging you the junk fee separately. Well, the problem is it's worked so well for the resorts that now hotels everywhere are adopting these junk fees and just calling them different things. Amenities fee, hotel fee. Um, One I saw recently had the craziest thing. It was called Urban Something Something Fee. It was like four words. And it was a hotel in a city. I didn't get it at all. But recently I was booking a hotel in Los Angeles. And this hotel popped up that I'd stayed at before. And it was a really good special rate that was available. And then I thought, you know, I better make sure they don't have a junk fee. Because when I'd stayed there before, there wasn't one. To my shock, staying there less than a year later, they had gone to a $45 a night, what they called amenities fee. And what were the amenities included? They had Wi-Fi. There was nothing else. And so I didn't stay at that hotel. And I've become so attuned to this now that before I book any hotel, I want to look up and see if there is one of these ripoff fees being added on to the room. And if you shop around on your phone, you're busy, you may be distracted, you may see a rate and you book it, and it may even be a non-refundable rate. And then only later, the oops. So take one extra step with any hotel you're thinking of booking, and you want to know if there is any junk fee. And remember, it can come in many different made-up names, but it's a junk fee nevertheless. And that's how you protect yourself. I I was, uh, where was I staying recently? I travel too much. For work and I, somewhere I was ch- changing planes I was in an airport hotel and I was booking a hotel at this airport and it never even occurred to me that there would be a junk fee and the website I was booking at had a thing where it said do I accept the whatever fee which I thought was great that they asked me and the fee was $32 in an airport hotel for nothing So then I booked a different airport hotel that charged zero junk fee. And the first place with the junk fee was quite a bit more once the junk fee was added in than the other place that didn't have one, even though the other place had a higher stated price. So now you know, you got to look out for it. And this whole thing really stinks. And someday I hope that hotels are forced to clean up their act and clearly disclose as part of the price you're booking the all mandatory fees you must pay.
3: Sam is with us
0: on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Sam.
3: Hey, hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for being you. Certainly, Sam. What's going on? I discovered swapping of auto leases. I don't believe in leases, I've never leased before. But with this, uh, I've seen on a different websites, I looked at, tried to look up some reviews of the person that would take over the lease to see, you know, the caveats and such. I know you live by the rules and policies and requirements of the lessor, or the financial entities that are usually the automotive companies that have their own GM financial or Lincoln financial or whatever. And you live by all those rules with the, the mileage, et cetera, uh, when you bring it back and all that. But what is it? I couldn't find any caveats for the one. Because if you could get something like 80 cents on the dollar, kind of like tax liens or whatever, but if you can get something for you know, 70, 80 cents on the dollar or a good vehicle. Why wouldn't you do it? Yeah. Time. So
0: the reason people like doing these, And the two biggest players in it, if I remember right, are Swap a Lease and Lease Trader. The advantage with them is that you're committing usually to a shorter period of time. That somebody may have gone into a four-year lease and 18 months out from the end of the lease, they got to get out. And so you come along and you're going to be able to drive that vehicle for a set amount per month. And you're not making a long-term commitment, and it fills a need you've got for shorter-term transportation. It's almost like an ultra-long car rental, and many times it will actually be more like that. It'll be like for six months, eight months, ten months, something like that, at the tail end of a lease. It can work out great for somebody. So here's the hardest part for you. It is when you go to turn in the vehicle, the unknown is how you're assessed for the condition of the vehicle when you turn it in. The most complaints I have about leases involve the penalties that people are hit with when they turn the lease vehicle in. So when you would take over a lease, you want to make sure there's no dents in it, no uh, severe scratches, that the interior is in really good shape, that the vehicle is in near showroom condition and when you do turn in the vehicle you take a ton of pictures of it really Mm -hmm. good detailed pictures of every fender every panel every part inside Mm -hmm. so that later if you get an assessment letter saying you owe fourteen hundred dollars let's say for unreasonable wear and tear you say wait a minute i don't know what you're talking about i have documentation of the condition, I turned it back in. That's the area I hear the most about.
3: That would be common for the original lessee, or you know anyone that's just doing a lease. But I'm thinking, what could I be missing taking over a lease? As long as the as paper, long as yeah. the
0: leasing company approves you taking over, then you're good.
3: Okay, there's no hidden gotchas other than the uh, legal instrument itself and its parameters there's no uh i I think i saw that there's a transfer fee they usually charge around five or six hundred dollars can't get around that probably right and there may be
0: depending on the lease there may be a fee for terminating the lease at the end
3: Uh uh-huh okay
0: so other than
3: that it's it's,
0: you're good you're good it's it's something that i have recommended as a potential opportunity for people for a long time you know People who lease a vehicle generally regret that they've leased a vehicle, but the people who take over a lease for somebody following the proper procedures, I really never hear complaints from. Anna is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Anna. Hi, how are you? Great. Thank you, Anna. How can I serve you today?
4: Okay, so this is kind of emotional and complicated. Um, oh, I have been married for uh, almost 12 years this summer, and I have three kids, um, military family. We move a lot, and so because of the kids and no family support, um, I haven't worked in 12 years, and we got married right after I graduated from college. So um, I really have nothing like no work experience. I'm almost 34 and um, we're falling apart.
2: Oh, I'm I'm sorry.
4: I am looking at the potential of um, a divorce. Nothing's been official yet, but I just, I feel like I need to have a plan and I don't even know where to start. I, like I said, you know, almost 34 and here I am. I have nothing to fall back on. And I'm just kind of at a loss as to where to even start.
2: And
0: uh, I, I'm, I may be stepping ahead of things, but have you and your husband mm-hmm. been to any form of marriage counseling?
4: Counseling? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, so this is like um, the counseling are like we just lost our counselor. She moved away and things have just spiraled so horribly since then that. I am not really holding out hope for it. Um,
0: does does your husband trying. want to work on things, or is he just going he through the motions?
4: He thinks things were better before we saw a counselor. <laughs> so I'm not sure that he really has a lot of interest. He thinks things are fine, and he doesn't really see the issues. Okay. Um, so well, then I you need to take care of, of
0: yourself, okay? And right, your and three that's children. my
4: plan. All right. <laughs>
0: So uh, don't don't be down on yourself about the job thing. You know, for a lot okay. of employers, the fact that you're 34 and have a college degree makes you more appealing than someone who is 22 fresh out of college. Okay. Because, because my
4: degree is not something I can actually use.
0: What's it in? Um,
4: it's in early childhood education, but it's through a college that did not back a credit. Um, they are accredited now, but... And I I don't want to teach. I'm an art kind of person. So, my degree, I just finished it because I didn't want to quit. But I don't want to teach.
0: (laughs) Right. Now, usually at bases, there is uh, career counseling available to you as a trailing spouse. Yes. Have you been to the career counseling on the base?
4: I did go um, like a year ago and. I didn't really get a lot of help because the lady that I talked to moved um, like a month after I went there.
0: Everybody (laughs) keeps abandoning you, don't they?
4: What is up with that? I know. That's my thought, too. (laughs) I want you to
0: redouble those efforts because now it's feeling more real to you that your marriage might be ending. And go to that career counseling center on the post. That's what it's there for. Uh, Not specifically for your circumstance, but they see it a lot. Right. And there are going to be things that you're going to be able to do with your maturity that you bring to the workplace at 34 and the fact that you have a college degree. And don't sell yourself short. I, I've heard you like three times uh, sell yeah, yourself Yeah, I have
4: no confidence in this because, like, it's just very intimidating to go from like an abusive home right into being married i've never lived by myself ever i've always lived in someone's basement in their spare room i've never lived on my own so this is so intimidating
0: well so that's why even if he's not going to participate in counseling because he thought it was useless or negative you need to do Mm -hmm. that for yourself right and okay. you need to avail yourself of resources because I hear in your voice you feel so alone. I do. And yeah. there are people who, who care about you, and there are professionals who are expert at this, and they vary in quality. But, but you need to take right. some time for yourself. And don't look at this from, well, I don't have this, I don't have that, I don't have the other. There's a lot right. you do have. And you okay. need to believe in yourself as you can more over time. Okay. So, thank you. Don't please don't worry so much about uh, that was that was kind of like an anxiety statement when you said I don't have skills anybody wants.
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and you have things to give to others. You have things that others will want and. That you need that confidence unlocked, and that's where the counseling for you know the psychological things you should get counseling for with what you're going through is valuable, and then the career counseling as well. I think that in tandem, those will both be very useful for you. Okay. And I'd love for you to call me back as you get through this process, and let's see if we can get down to the things where you move to the next steps you might need. It's time for Ask Clark, where you post a question for me at clark.com slash ask. Joel, who do we have? Clark, we got one from Jimmy. He says, your show is tops, but I get furious when I hear the suggestion not to answer my cell phone if I don't recognize the number. I'm a local piano mover in Amherst, Massachusetts, and like zillions of small business owners, I only have a cell phone. Most of my customers only have cell phones, too. The listed area codes are nationwide, and I don't recognize 99% of the calls I get. If I only picked up the calls of numbers I recognized, I'd have no work. Junk phone calls are a total nuisance and a direct detriment to everyone's quality of life. I think they should be banned 100%. Well, I appreciate that, and there are new tools coming out that are going to make it easier to get rid of a fair amount of those junk phone calls, and then hopefully you'll be able to answer your phone in peace and confidence that it really is somebody wanting to hire you at your business. And I'm sorry... Those junk phone calls are such a hassle. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. That's what we're about, is giving you ideas, information, facts you can draw on so that you can take better charge, better control. So you expect me to meet the test of giving you good information you can use. What if I give you what you feel is bad information, or I'm just wrong, or I wasn't complete? That's why we have clark.com slash clarkstinks, where you can go post where you feel I could do a better job, and others can read your posts, they can comment on it, and then once a week, our producer Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares her favorites right here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You
1: should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong.
3: Maybe you're right, pal. All
1: right, Clark, we have a record. There is one topic you discussed that has generated more Clark stinks than I've ever seen.
0: Congratulations to me. Do you
1: have any idea what it could be? I
0: have no idea what it could be, but I'm smiling ear to ear because it means that people care and they listen and they react.
1: I'm going to read one of the posts because it's representative of many of them. Uh, So here it is. Your comments on the lunch lady in New Hampshire who got fired for giving a student a free lunch, as I heard on your podcast, was incomplete and highly misleading. In a series of articles on this in the New Hampshire Union Leader over the past few weeks, it was revealed that the lunch lady had been giving the student free upgrades for some time and concealing this from her employer, the contract lunch provider. The lunch lady lied to her supervisor about her actions. The student's mother was mystified and was reported as saying her family was quite able to buy his lunches, That she had no idea this was going on or why the lunch lady was paying so much attention to her son, the student. The lunch lady had at some point messaged the student asking him to take actions to conceal her generosity and treating it as a joke. Your reporting of this matter left a lot of people looking bad when they didn't deserve it and left the lunch lady looking saintly when she didn't deserve it. You got this so wrong and I'm left wondering if other things you report could be similarly off base. John.
0: John, thank you for that. And you are right. And I'm guilty as charged. I went from the initial story, and it was quite interesting to read as subsequent reports came out that found this was not a clear case, that there was a lot more going on with it. And the fact is, I reacted to the initial news story. That's what I reported on, and that's what I was upset about, and there turned out to be a lot more to this story than the original one. So what happened was on the information that was out at the time I talked about it, I feel that my response was an accurate reflection. Later, it didn't look so good.
1: Clark, it's not actually that you stink in this case, but your staffers who are all over you about red meat. The theories about fat being bad for you, that you should eat low fat and keep your cholesterol low, instead choosing more fruits and vegetables, have never been proven. Indeed, if you ate just burgers and your staff ate just fruits and vegetables, in a short time, you'd be healthier, stronger, and thinner than they'd be. Many of our ancestors thrived on an all-meat diet, Many doctors of the past curing patients of diseases on an all-beef-and-water diet. You don't have to take my word for it, and they suggest a couple of books. You'll enjoy finding out how wrong the tofu eaters of the world are. I hope you get to see this. I can picture Krista just hitting delete. Love your show, your knowledge, and your integrity. David.
0: David, thank you. No, we don't cover things up, and, uh, and if you feel that others have been unfairly maligning my eating habits, I need to say to you that my primary care doctor and my cardiologist both would very strongly disagree with your sentiments and they, uh, they very much have forced a change in my diet and I still do eat red meat and more than either of the doctors would like but I eat a lot more fruit and a lot more vegetables than I used to. I eat a more balanced diet. I am no longer truly solely the carryout kid.
1: I love Clark's advice, but I think he missed this one. Rick asked about a $10 MasterCard he received from a home improvement store. Clark interpreted this as a credit card, but from the caller's description, especially the $3.95 monthly fee after one year, this is a prepaid card. Rick should use the $10, Steve.
0: Just use it and be done. Okay.
1: Another one that uh, generated several posts. I'm going to read a representative one from a pilot. Clark, are you now omniscient and smarter than experienced aeronautical engineers? Have you shorted BA? Are you a propagandist for Airbus, the EU, and China? Your repeated Boeing bashing is unsubstantiated, possibly based on purposed misinformation to shift the blame from those countries and airlines while advancing China's trade war. When the NTSB reports on the Ethiopian and Lion Air crashes are published, you'll have a ton of crow to eat. Artificial feedback systems have been on aircraft since powered flight controls were introduced in World War II. MCAS is a modification of the speed trim system that has been part of the B737 since 84 and is not a stall avoidance or recovery system. Malfunction or no, the switches to disable the errant trim system have been right below the thrust levers since 1968 and for decades have been part of the abnormal checklist for a runaway stabilizer trim. Actual component qualified pilots would have regained complete control seconds into these malfunctions. Draw your own conclusions on why they are not hired at Ethiopia or Lion. 43 years flying, 33 in airlines, 23 in the B-737. Dan.
0: Dan, thank you for your post. And you have obviously superior knowledge and experience. All I can rely on is the Wall Street Journal investigative pieces on what actually went on with the boeing aircraft the problems that happen with both the design and manufacture of the max aircraft and the sensors on it and the leak tape of the american airlines 737 max pilots who made it clear that the uh, system was one that they were incapable of controlling And if you read the reporting from aviation experts who have gone in the simulator recently and tried to correct the problems with the plane, with the the MAX, when the MCAS activated, they could not do so even knowing in advance what the the problem was that the aircraft was going to experience. So there is... (sighs) Definitely a problem with the plane. And no, I would never, as someone who has been corrected many times by listeners and have had to modify my language, where I used to call China by uh, derogatory names because I am very anti-communist and very upset about the communist dictatorship in China. I am not somebody who would be an apologist for the Chinese or try to help the Chinese. As for Boeing... They blew it on this, and please go read some of the investigative series in the Wall Street Journal, among other publications, and you may modify how you feel what's happened with the MAX. To blame it on pilot inexperience at these two airlines is something you as a pilot are so aware of that the automatic response of any aircraft manufacturer after any crash— is to try to blame it on the pilots and sometimes it is pilot error but in this case there's a specific flaw in the max that must be corrected
1: i was recently listening to an episode of clark stinks and a listener had written in about clark wearing out his wallets at this point the clothespin pin had to go on the nostrils clark suggested that he might go through them faster than most because he uses an ultra thin wallet as a longtime listener, I surmise that this is the Olette wallet that he has talked about in the past. Talked about it long enough that I had to get one to try it out. I was just looking at my at least six-year-old base model Aulet and thinking it's finally starting to fray a tiny bit. Maybe I should think about getting a new one soon. It's not the wallet, Clark. Thanks for all you do and your amazing, for all you and your amazing stuff do, Eric."
0: Eric, I love the All Let Wallet. It's what I've been using for as far back as I can remember. So the reason that mine phrase, and yours probably has not, is you probably have the all-parachute material model. And my wife used to make fun of me carrying that one. So I got the one that has the leather outside and the parachute inside. And it's not as durable as the all-parachute model. So maybe... I should not let my wife be the fashion police on my wallet. And the next time, get the one that's the all parachute material inside and out.
1: Telling children not to worry about the value of a career when going to college was good advice in the 1960s and 70s. For this generation, that advice stinks. I often tried to explain this to baby boomer parents who sent their kids off to college with this advice Only to be befuddled when they couldn't find work with their anthropology, history, biology, or physics degrees. I personally know people with kids who made each of these mistakes. How could they not get a job with a physics degree? Generation X should not tell their children this bad advice. Don't study what you love. You don't know what you love. Study something that will be profitable and be wise enough to learn to love what you do. 2019, not 1969. Clark Stinks. William Quinn... B.S., M.S., M.S.E., oh, it's two B.S.'s, M.S., M.S.E., M.S.E., M.B.A.
0: Thank you for that post. All right, so a couple of things. The job market is changing so quickly that if you talk to an 18-year-old about taking a specific career path and doing it just because it earns a good living, you look two decades out, most of the jobs that will exist at that point are things that don't exist today. Second, there is a reasonable compromise to what you suggest, and it is that someone either stay in school an extra half a year and double major, where they get a major in something they love and a major in something that the job market really likes today, or they, in a regular four-year cycle, get a major and a minor so they can have what they love And what they also know they can fall back on is a way to make a good living. And I appreciate all your posts. Please go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and let me know where I have let you down. Donald is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Donald. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing fine, Clark. Uh, I hope you are as well.
0: I'm doing very well. Thank you. And you as a dad are trying to do something to help your son or daughter. What's the story?
2: My son is, um, uh, he's been living and working here in Florida and uh, just not able to uh, stay so far away from his children. So he is in, he's in the process of moving back to Kentucky where they're at. And his mother and I are, are trying to help him with that. And unfortunately, his uh, uh, credit history includes a, a short sale that is going to prevent him from getting a mortgage. So his uh, his mother and I are going to step in and, and buy a house there.
0: How many more years does he have till that short sale runs its course? How many years has it been since that happened? Uh,
2: the short sale, I believe, was in... It was five years ago.
0: Okay, so you're getting closer to where that short sale actually will not eliminate his ability to buy a home. Mm -hmm. And it seems a lot simpler, even if you help him with some money for it or whatever, that with him moving to Kentucky, you're in Florida, it sure would be great if he was buying a house and he owned it instead of the complexity of you getting involved. Um what would be the possibility, and then I'll answer the question you actually want to ask me, but I want to ask you, what would be the possibility of him renting first, getting established again in Kentucky, and then maybe the clock runs a little, he's at a point where he can qualify and buy a home on his own?
2: Well, uh, I mean, it's it's not out of the, the question, um, but... Um, the location that he's moving to, uh, quite frankly, the the, the rental prices um, uh, significantly exceed what um, a mortgage would would run.
0: Okay, all right. Uh, so <laughs> if you want to do this, it's really great that you're doing this out of love for your son, mm-hmm. and doing a family transaction like this is common. I think you need to buy it, you need to own it, clear as could be, and if at some point in the future you want to sell it to him, then that's fine. But I, I'm very uncomfortable if you're thinking of co-signing a loan for him. I think you should keep it clean.
2: Yeah, it, it, no, um, at this point in time, not thinking of a cosign. sign um, but there, there's you know, the potential that... Um, Shortly after we buy one there, um, that we're going to be moving also to uh, Ohio again. Family uh, issues and and uh, become part of the uh, the decision making process there. So what I was concerned about was making a purchase um, and you know possibly making that our residence for a short period of time and then turning around and making another purchase.
0: Yeah, that uh, you may have trouble with qualifying. You may show too much debt to qualify doing a purchase and then turning around and doing another purchase. And it takes me back to what I said up front, that even, <laughs> even if it is weirdly more expensive for him to rent at first, mm-hmm. I think the simplicity of him renting is a better choice, and, and yeah. who knows? He may he may with the intention of moving near the children may find that uh, the opportunities aren't solid for him there, and he may end up going to let's say Cincinnati and and going to see them from there, or, or you know in Kentucky living somewhere else, maybe within an hour of them. So right. I think with with this kind of move, that's so great, he's going to be closer to his kids. And the other stuff you added about you potentially relocating, I think it'd be better for him to rent at first, and then once he's settled, it's going to be a much better time for him and for you to buy a home, and maybe he can buy it. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show.